Welcome to Lymphedema Podcast. I'm Betty Westbrook, a certified lymphedema therapist and the voice behind Lymphedema Podcast. The purpose of this podcast is to provide answers and explanations for people affected by the lymphatic disease, lymphedema. This podcast is for patients, family members, medical professionals, and anyone interested in lymphedema. Each month, I will discuss a new topic related to this disease to help you learn more and navigate better your journey ahead. Between shows, you can catch me on IGTV or Instagram TV, as well as monthly live Q&A sessions. I'm so passionate about teaching others about lymphedema that I created this podcast just for you. Thanks for joining me. I hope you're ready to learn something new today. Disclaimer, as a certified lymphedema therapist, all information provided is based on my professional experiences and education. I recommend that anyone who feels they have lymphedema or have been medically diagnosed with lymphedema seek in-person medical treatment from a certified lymphedema therapist. Hello, my name is Jean Lamantia, and I am today's guest podcaster on Lymphedema Podcast, and I want to thank Betty, Betty Westbrook, for inviting me to be a guest podcaster. And Lymphedema Podcast is sponsored by Eros Medical, Rylands Feet Foundation, Juzo, Medi USA, and the National Lymphedema Network. This podcast would not be possible without these wonderful sponsors. Be sure to go show them some love by visiting their pages that are linked on the Lymphedema Podcast website. You can also find more information about each of these sponsors on my resources page. This is so exciting for me. And I'll tell you why, because I am a spoken word person. Like that's my jam. You know, there are people who always have uh, music playing or, you know, on the radio, all the, the presets or, you know, for music stations, that is not me. I am a spoken word person. So for me, it's fun to go to Toastmasters meeting or go to um, um, speaker jam, or um, I am always listening to spoken word, um, whether it's radio, like public radio or podcasts man, I've always um, got my earbuds in. So I walk twice a day. I walk in the morning. I walk in the evening. (laughs) I can't leave the house without my earbuds. Um, You know, it's time to catch up on the phone with my mom and my sister, but also when that's done, it's podcast and it's um, including lymphedema podcast. So thank you, Betty. I have learned so much listening to lymphedema podcast. And it's kind of exciting for me knowing that, oh, there's other people out there on their treadmills or walking outside with their earbuds and listening to lymphedema podcast. So hello out there to you. And thank you for, uh, for tuning in and listening. So who am I? Who is this person? Well, as I said, my first name is Jean. That's J-E-A-N. My last name is Lamantia, L-A, capital M. A-N-T-I-A, and I am a registered dietitian. And what does that mean? So that means that when I went to university, I studied applied human nutrition. And so I have a Bachelor of Applied Science degree in applied human nutrition, and that's a four-year honors degree. And so when I graduated um, with honors from university, Uh, the next step is uh, you're not a dietitian then. 
you have to do further education. You either have to do a master's degree or what's called an internship. And the internship is what really appealed to me. And there are three types of internships. There are an administrative, a community, and a clinical. And so an administrative internship, that would be someone who is looking to run a large food service operation, like a hospital, uh, the military, uh, the Olympics, uh, or, you know, smaller operations like schools or nursing homes, things like that, where you're designing the menus, you're looking at, um, you know, food costs and all of that stuff. And so there are um, nutrition grads who are really um, drawn to that kind of work. That wasn't me. That wasn't my jam. And then there's community nutrition, which is developing public health measures. So, you know, maybe targeting a certain population, let's say like breastfeeding moms or, uh, you know, malnourished kids or um, at-risk seniors or things like that, um, where you're developing community-based programs to address a nutrition need. And again, valuable work, but it wasn't what was drawing me. What was drawing me was clinical nutrition. And so I did a clinical dietetic internship. So mine was at a teaching hospital and I loved it. So what you learn in clinical nutrition is the different diseases and how nutrition can impact it. So for example, I would spend three weeks on the cardiac unit. And so I'd learn all about the different cardiac diseases, um, you know, um, bypasses, you know, people with heart attacks, people with blood vessel diseases, et cetera. And then what is the role of nutrition? Um, what are the common medications? What are the common side effects? How, how does nutrition play a role? And then teaching those people how to eat to, um, uh, you know, to coincide with their condition, you, you know, and how to help them get healthy. Um, then, you know, spend three weeks in the renal unit. So people who have uh, early kidney disease, people who are on hemodialysis, people on um, per peritoneal dialysis, uh, people with kidney transplant, you know, and figuring out, well, what are the issues, you know, how to look at their blood work and, you know, interpret, you know, their potassium levels and their phosphorus levels and their albumins and, and how that impacts the diet. Um, you know, the GI unit, I mean, GI nutrition is you know, that really, to me, that that's real nutrition. That is like where digestion happens, right? That's how the nutrients enter the body. Like that's the core uh, to really all nutrition. Um, the cancer unit, the neurology unit. So I spent time with each dietitian that specialized in those areas, learning from them. And then I had some electives that I did, which is, you know, you get to you know, find a, a place outside of what your hospital offers. So I did, um, I went to a pediatric hospital to see what they do there and uh, loved it, loved every minute of it. I mean, it was, it was hard. It was a lot of work because it was like having a full-time job and going to university at the same time, because you're at the hospital, you're shadowing the dietitian. You, plus then outside of that, you're doing your assignments, you're reading up your, because every rotation there's assignments and things that you had to hand in. So it was intense, very intense, but so rewarding. And um, after I graduated from my internship, then I was a registered dietitian. Uh, nowadays, there's an exam that you also write, uh, which I did. Uh, so I'm 
I'm in Canada, but I did write the exam uh, in the US. So I'm credentialed with the um, Commission on Dietetic Registration, which is the American uh, credentialing organization, um, as well as in Canada where I live. And um, my first job was working as an inpatient dietitian, just filling in. So I was a new grad, they wanted me to fill in and um, you know, help out with some staff shortages for seven months. And they assigned me the neurology unit, the psychiatry unit, and then just some fill in um, days on cardiac and obstetrics and oncology. And so the neurology unit, that was a lot of um, motor vehicle accidents and strokes. So people with a head injury, and a lot of times with head injury, people lose the ability to swallow. And so a lot of my work there was tube feedings figuring out, okay, this person, they can't eat. Uh, I need to calculate how much protein they need, how much fluid they need. Um, I need to get all of their hundred percent of their nutrition needs through this tube. And then later as they, you know, as they start to rehab, you know, they're starting to eat things orally. So then I cut back on the tube feeding based on what they're eating. And, uh, you know, I loved it. I love all that. You know, there's not a lot of math in, um, in nutrition, but the math, anything <laughs> math related with nutrition, I was in there, get my calculator out and figuring things out. Loved it. And then um, uh, after that, I worked in a diabetes education center. So really intense training on diabetes management, how to prevent those low blood sugars, how to deal with high blood sugars, how to do insulin adjustments, um, how to sort out medication issues, how to get, um, you know, teach people how to do carb counting or how to balance, you know, their diet with their blood sugars, etc. Really amazing. And then, you know, what happened after that uh, was I had my own health challenge, which started with just what I thought was a stiff neck, but it turned into something much more sinister. Months later, um, I felt these lumps in my neck and I felt lumps in my armpits. And I had this pressure in the chest. Like I felt like just something was pushing down on my chest and I was having these night sweats. And, um, my doctor did a chest x-ray and that was the beginning of my journey in being diagnosed with lymph node cancer, um, or lymphoma. So it sounds a lot like lymphedema, but it's not. So lymphoma is lymph node cancer. And when, you know, I imagine some people have been through cancer and, and know what I'm talking about here, but when you're first sort of, there's this inkling that, you know, you've got cancer, uh, you don't get to the cancer hospital right away. You first have to go through staging. So, you know, I had an appointment, they said, you want a CAT scan. So I, I, make an appointment for a CAT scan. Okay. So that was a week to get that appointment. And then I have appointment for surgery because they want to remove one of my lymph nodes and do a biopsy. Okay. So then I wait a week for that. And then I had to wait a week for the pathology results. And then I had to wait a week to get an appointment for, um, my bone marrow, um, test to see if there was cancer in the bone marrow. And so by the time I had that initial chest x-ray where my symptoms really flared up, and I'll tell you what happened um, when my symptoms flared up is I had been in the shopping mall and there was a blood donor clinic. And I thought, okay, yeah, I've given blood four times before I'm going to be a blood donor. And I think what happened was that blood donation just allowed that cancer 
that was already in my body to just explode. And it just overpowered my immune system. And that's when all of a sudden I had these symptoms and rest assured, I did call the blood donation center after that and said, don't use that blood donation I just gave because, um, at that time they didn't know it was what kind of cancer I had, but I said, they think it's cancer. So don't use it. Uh, so by the time I got to the cancer center for my bone marrow test, uh, I was in rough shape and this is how I was talking. I find it's hard to breathe. I, so all I could get out was one or two words. And why was that? It's because my lymphatic system was not working properly. And what was happening was the lymphatic fluid was draining into my lungs and my lungs were filling up with lymphatic fluid. And essentially what was happening and what it felt like is I was drowning in my own body. If you can imagine that feeling, well, maybe you can, because you have a sense of that, even though your lymphedema might not be in your lungs. But let me tell you, I understood, and I was only 27 at that time from a young age, that there's a lymphatic system and it's super important. And moving this fluid around the body is not some trivial matter. It's a very vital system in the body. And that, <laughs> to say that made an impression on me is an understatement. I've never undervalued the lymphatic system and what it can do. Um, in the decades since that time. So uh, that was my the beginning of my cancer treatment. I, and I'm not going to tell you all about my treatment, but I'll just summarize and say I had six months of chemotherapy. I had a month of daily radiation. And then I had years and years of follow up three month follow up six month follow up yearly follow up. Uh, and finally, they said, Okay, you know, we're pretty comfortable here that this cancer is not coming back. However, then I was referred to the high-risk breast cancer screening program, and that's because I received radiation in my chest area, and um, that is putting me at risk for breast cancer, also because of my age. Um, so I, I live with that risk, and so I use my strategies on cancer risk reduction with nutrition to help me cope with that risk factor. Um, after my cancer treatment, I began a job as a home care dietitian. And what this is, is when people are discharged home from the hospital, they might not be still 100%. They need some support. So the home care agency will send in the visiting nurse or the physical therapist or the speech therapist, or in my case, the dietitian. So I would go into the home and I would help them with um, whatever nutrition issue they had. So I would say probably about a third of my caseload was uh, people on home tube feedings. A lot of times it was head and neck cancers. Um, so I had to get them going on their home tube feeding get them all their nutrition needs. And then when they started eating, wean them off the tube feeding, solve any tolerance issues they're having, um, do the troubleshooting. Um, probably a third of my caseload was diabetes. Um, you know, people probably newly diagnosed, sent home, and they're still trying to figure out what they can eat, how much, you know, all of that stuff, you know, as you can imagine, you've been through health challenges yourself. Like it's overwhelming when you're first diagnosed. 
a lot of, you know, swallowing issues. So people with advanced Parkinson's or Alzheimer's or Huntington's or ALS, where they're losing the ability to swallow. So really it honed my skills on, you know, research and problem solving. And I realized I'm a problem solver. Give me a problem. I love to solve it. I love to read the research, figure out what to do. Because also in that job, there was a lot of rare conditions. Like I see once in my career and you have to research, what is this thing? And, you know, how can nutrition help this person? And what, what's the strategy? And then after seven years at home care, I, I went probably to the complete utter extreme of that. And I worked in a health club. So this was affluent people who had health club memberships who are paying monthly to join the health club and paying for results. Let me tell you, they're going to lose weight. Here's my money. Get me the results. And um, I found that kind of a high pressure thing, but also I learned a lot about weight and weight loss and cravings and the emotional connection that people have with food. Um, learned a lot about sport nutrition, um, carb to protein ratios, how to refuel after workout, how to get maximum results of your, of your, of your workouts, really great skills very transferable skills. Amazing. And then, um, then I had uh, my children and I found that the long, long hours of working at the health club um, just were not conducive to having a family. So I left there and started my own private practice. And in private practice, it's really very common to have a specialty, have a niche. Um, and so for me, the obvious one was kind of go back to my roots and help people with cancer, help them get through their treatment, help them after their treatment to reduce the risk of recurrence. And that's what I did. And, you know, one thing that I realized, especially in my job in the health club, I had never read popular books on nutrition before. I had read textbooks and research journals but I'd never read things like the Atkins and the zone and all those diets that were popular at the time. So I started reading those and I realized these are really not that great. And also there's a ton of them out there. And I started this dietitian book club where we would read popular consumer books on nutrition and we write up our reviews and what we like about it, what we didn't like about it, what was like just not good science, um, you know, what was supported by the evidence and really could treat critique it. And I just planted the seed like, oh my goodness, I, I could write um, a better book than a lot of these books that are out there. And so when I started my, um, my practice and, you know, specializing in, in cancer, uh, that's one thing I set out to do is actually approached by a publisher who wanted a cancer nutrition book. And I said yes to that. And you know, there's a lot of talk about, you know, quote unquote, cancer nutrition. And a lot of that focuses on, okay, making your green juices and your green smoothie and plant-based diet and um, getting all your nutraceuticals. And don't get me wrong, all of that is amazing. And it's powerful. And it's helpful. However, there's a time and a place for that. And when someone's in the midst of their cancer treatment, to me, uh, especially if they're having side effects, that's not the place to add that added pressure because I lived through it. I lived through nausea. 
And when my nausea and vomiting was um, like when I was on my chemotherapy, I couldn't watch TV because if there was a commercial, I would gag, I'd start to vomit. I was vomiting. And I'm sorry <laughs> to be saying this on your podcast. Um, you know, lots, let's just say that multiple times a day, like my chemo was brutal and um, had heartburn, had lots of issues that are common to, um, to chemotherapy and cancer treatment. And so I set out to, to solve those problems for people first and foremost. So my cancer book, which is called the essential cancer treatment, nutrition guide and cookbook is an A to Z let's solve the problems of cancer treatment. So uh, anemia, uh, low appetite, uh, constipation, diarrhea, um, trying to think alphabetically what comes next fatigue. Yeah, that's a big one. Low energy, food aversions, heartburn, um, high blood pressure, insomnia, mouth sores, uh, nausea, um, dental erosion, dehydration, you name it. I, I solved the problem. Here is the nutrition strategies that you can use. Here's a list of foods that are high in iron. Here's a list of foods high in B12. Here's a list of foods high in zinc. And, you know, really problem solving and helping people get through their treatment. And I also have that chapter that's focused on okay, now that you're through your treatment, or some people don't have those problems. Like there are people that, you know, their, their treatment is not that bad. So they can focus on those risk reduction strategies right out of the gate. And of course, I talk about all of that. I talk about the nutraceuticals. I talk about how to support the immune system, how to reduce chronic inflammation and all that, all of that is there. And I have a recipe section in that book too, that says, okay, if you are having these problems, this is the recipe for you. Okay. So if you're having constipation, this is a good recipe. If you're having taste um, changes, this is a good recipe, et cetera. And so that, that really um, was an incredibly rewarding process writing that book. And I really, I think of myself as a translator, I'm reading English and I'm writing in English. However, the language is very different because you read research um, articles, it's a different type of language. There's a lot of redundancy. There's a lot of big words. There's a lot of complicated ways of saying things. And so I translated that into very simple, easy to understand. Here's what that research says. And to me, when I'm describing research, I'm telling a story. So here's what happened. You know, 50 women with breast cancer were enrolled in a study. Half of them got this diet and half of them got this diet. And here are the results. Like to me, every research article I read, it's a story. It's a time for me to tell a story. And here's what happened in this story. And here's what this story, here's the lesson of this story and what it means for you. That's how I approach my, my writing, uh, whether it be in my blog or my books. So I really found that very rewarding. And I also enjoyed reading the reviews that people would write on Amazon or people would send me emails. People would send me handwritten notes saying this book was my Bible during cancer treatment. And that was so rewarding for me. Um, and so I, I established a name for myself as a cancer dietitian. 
And because of that, I got a phone call one day from a physical therapist who's a lymphedema therapist who has a clinic um, and said, I want a dietitian to come and work with my clients. And that's because a lot of the clients in my practice with lymphedema had cancer. So she wanted someone who really understood cancer. So I thought, yes, absolutely. And I had certainly heard of lymphedema, I had clients with it, but I'd never done that kind of deep dive that I like to do to really feel super confident in my recommendations. And the one thing I'll say about my training to become a registered dietitian, and one thing they drill into our heads all the time is this idea of evidence-based practice. I can't recommend something to a client just because I think this sounds like a good idea. Like what the hell, let's give it a try, might work. No, you cannot do that. You have to have evidence-based practice. You have to read the research. You have to interpret the research. You have to use your critical thinking uh, to decide, you know, is, you know, what is this result? Does this result apply to this client that's in front of me and then make recommendations. And that's my training. And so my first instinct when, you know, joining that clinic was let's hit the research. Let's find what, what there is to know about lymphedema nutrition. And so I did that. I hit the research and I found, oh, there's this study here and this one here and this one here and this one read, led me to this one. And I found there's lots here. So then I started using those recommendations with my clients and it was working. They're getting results. And I, I thought, you know, I've got to find a way to, you know, help more people. And so I approached my publisher. I said, let, let myself and the lymphedema therapist write a book. And he agreed. And the book came out in 2019. It's called the Complete Lymphedema Management and Nutrition Guide. I am so proud of this book. And I really feel it is helping people just get a really good understanding of what the research is and how nutrition can help lymphedema. But then came the, you know, applying that information. So I like to help people apply their information because there's information in there that sometimes it might feel overwhelming or it might feel like you're trying to drink from the fire hose. So then I created a program called Lymphedema Nutrition School, which does exactly that. It helps people take this information, you know, nutrition pun coming, one bite at a time, digest it, and then set a goal for it. And so that's what I do with my Lymphedema Nutrition School. So let's say that one of the first topics I teach is on intermittent fasting. So here's the research on intermittent fasting. Here's how I think it can help you. Here's what it does. Here's what it doesn't do. And here's who shouldn't do it because I'm, I'm trying to have a very, I'm not pro intermittent fasting or anti intermittent fasting. I'm pro evidence. I'm pro research. Here's what it can do for you. Here's what it can't do for you. And then, um, you know, set a goal around it. So if this feels right for you, set a goal. And a first goal that a lot of people set when it comes to intermittent fasting is say, I'm going to eat within a 12 hour eating window. So that means if my breakfast is 7am, I'm going to finish eating by 7pm. So 12 hour eating window, and that's it. I'm not eating again after 7pm. That's a good first goal to make. Um, and then um, I have goals for you. It, as a student of lymphedema nutrition school, my goals are, first of all, yeah, I want to help you improve your lymphedema. Absolutely. I want you to know about the research that's out there and why I'm recommending something that I'm recommending. And it's so rewarding when someone says to me, you know, I've heard this before, like I've heard that I should be doing this, but I never knew why I was, should be doing it until I was in lymphedema nutrition school. And to me, that's very rewarding. Somebody tells me to do something. I'm like, 
what? I don't know. But if I understand why they're telling me to do it and I understand the rationale, it's like, oh, okay, sure, I can do that. Um, so that's another goal I have. The third one is that you actually can achieve some, you know, make changes. And my pathway to doing that is this goal setting. You make a goal for yourself. And if you don't achieve your goal, what we do is we break that goal down into smaller steps. Okay. And then another goal I have is for you to get to know your lymphedema. And one of the tools that I developed for that is called the trigger tracker. So you're recording, you're, you're eating, you're recording your lymphedema. And I want you to see, and, you know, I had one of my, my, my students. So I say client, I catch myself. It's because I also have a virtual private practice. And so I work one-on-one -on -one with people too, but um, I really more accurately should be saying student when I'm talking about people who join lymphedema nutrition school. Um, so excuse me for that mix up. And so one of my students had lymphedema for 30 years. And she said, you know, I would just go through my routine. I'd get up every morning, I'd put on my compression garment, and I wouldn't really think about my lymphedema. And that's probably a coping mechanism that allowed her to do that. But taking lymphedema nutrition school, Jean, I realized, you know, there's more I could be doing, and there's more I could be learning from my own body and learning from my lymphedema. So listening and paying attention is another goal that I have for you. And so I have a student that told me, you know, she did Chinese takeaway, and she found, whoa, her lymphedema really swelled up after that. Now, here's something that's important, which really resonated with her as well. My response to that is, well, you can never have Chinese takeaway again. No, that is not my response. I don't feel that's my place to tell you that. However, my response is, when you do that, I want you to make a very conscious choice. You know now, there's no hiding it. You know that if you have that, your lymphedema is going into a flare. So you can either decide it's not worth it. I'm totally not doing that. I can't deal with a flare right now. I need to fit into this dress, you know, tomorrow or my shoes or whatever, I'm not doing it. Or you might decide, oh my God, I'm going to do it. I'm going to have it. It's totally worth it. But when you make that decision, what you do is you put in those countermeasures. You do extra manual lymphatic drainage. You wear your night garment. You walk home from the restaurant. You do an extra workout that day. Um, you are very good with your diet after that. You, you don't eat leftovers. You get back on track. So you make this conscious choice if you do that and you decide, I, I'm I'm not going to have this flare that I'm going to be dealing with for a week. I'm going to try and get it under control right away. And now sometimes it might just be not that you consciously decided to do that, but you inadvertently, oh, you went to a restaurant, you thought you were making a good choice, but it turns out it was very salty, or I was at somebody's house and that's all they had, or, you know, I was out, I was starving and this was the only option. I just want you to know there are countermeasures and there are ways to use nutrition as well as those other tools to help you get out of that flare and get back on track. All right. So what I want you to know about um, lymphedema nutrition school, I have a class that's starting in September, September 14th, we meet for an hour and a half. You can imagine this is only 30 minutes, we meet for an hour and a half. And that's because there is just so much value that I want you to get and we meet for 10 weeks. So we really do just take our time we have a topic we solve your issues we share your wins okay um 
so we meet for an hour and a half uh, every week, at, starting at one o'clock Eastern time till 2.30 on starting September the 14th. Um, now, if that doesn't work for you, if you don't like, um, if you can't follow that schedule, whatever, there's a self-study version of Lymphedema Nutrition School that you can join. And um, you, it's the same great content, but it's all pre-recorded and you work through it on your own. You set the goals on your own. And one feature that I have of Lymphedema Nutrition School, which I think is really great and the students are loving it, is a guided meditation. <clears throat> Excuse me. And where this came about is I've had two children. One I gave birth to in a hospital. The second I gave birth to at home with a midwife. And in both of them, my goal was to have natural childbirth. In the first one, I struggled with the contraction pain. I, I really had a hard time. With the second one, I was able to cope. And that's because before my labor, I took a course called self-hypnosis for childbirth. And I learned that the mind is a powerful tool. I've experienced how I could control my pain through relaxation and through like a type of meditation. Amazing. And when I was at one of the lymphedema um, conferences, uh, my co-author actually was presenting and she talked about how, when she teaches her clients how to do manual lymphatic drainage, she teaches them to visualize their lymphatic system. And I thought, oh my goodness, you know, there's another tool. So I do guided meditation where I, you know, you know, I use soft music and I'm, you know, we're deep breathing, we're relaxing, and we're visualizing that lymphatic fluid moving. And even if you don't believe, I don't believe I can move my lymphatic fluid with my mind, fine. However, there's still value in it because it's relaxing, it's deep breathing. And we know that deep breathing can, you know, prime that pump and, and move that lymphatic fluid. And stress relaxation is going to release the tension that you hold in your body. So there's value, even if you don't believe um, in that. And that's just a short portion at the end of every class. And some people are like, I can't stay for today's medication. You know, they're just going to log off. But a majority stay and they really appreciate that 10 minutes of relaxation. So where can you find out more information about Lymphedema Nutrition School? So I have a website called Just Wellness, and that's the name of my school. So justwellness.thinkific, T-H-I-N-K-I-F-I-C. That's the name of the platform where I host my school.com. So if you go to justwellness.thinkific.com, if you want to join the September Lymphedema Nutrition School, look for the one that says September, because there's lots of Lymphedema Nutrition Schools. The others have all... Um, concluded. So you want to join the September one. If you're listening to this podcast sometime in the future, just look for the, the one that's upcoming. Or if you want to work through the content on your own, join Lymphedema Nutrition School self-study. All right. So those are just two resources that I have. Other resource, of course, is my book, The Complete Lymphedema Management and Nutrition Guide, which you can order on Amazon or Barnes and Noble or any place you buy books. If you want to support your local little bookstore, which I think is great, um, just give them the ISBN number and they'll order it in. And I also have a blog. I have written about so many 
lymphedema topics. So I have just my general one on lymphedema diet. I have one on anti-inflammatory diet, one on ketogenic diet for lymphedema, one on uh, anti-inflammatory oils, one on different products that you can use for lymphedema, one on supplements for lymphedema, a different one on herbs for lymphedema, um, you know, so much, so much there. So please check out my blog, which is at jeanlamantia.com. Now I suggest you just sign up for my blog and then every Tuesday you'll get a blog in your inbox, which you can read. And that way you don't miss out. Um, Cause I wouldn't want you to miss content. That's really valuable. And again, if you're listening to this in real time, then I'm doing um, a free webinar called research roundup on September the 11th. Um, so again, um, just send me an email if you want to sign up for that, but it's also on my Just Wellness Classroom. You'll see Research Roundup, free webinar. All right. So, so much um, nutrition information. And I just, my final um, thing that I want to, you know, plant in your brain is that what you eat matters. And even if you're doing your manual lymphatic drainage and you're wearing your compression and doing your exercise, there's more that you can do. There are lots of tools in your toolbox. So I want you to feel very positive that there are lots of things that you can do to help manage your lymphedema. And when it comes to nutrition, there's lots of strategies that you can use to help you. And I've seen it. I've seen the results. I've seen the positive outcomes. And I feel very confident that um, even if you've had lymphedema for 30 years, even if you're brand new diagnosed, nutrition can help you. Um, so I'll leave it at that. Thank you so much, Betty, for letting me be a guest podcaster. And uh, I hope you enjoyed uh, my, my, just my little tip of the iceberg introduction to nutrition for lymphedema and getting to know me and who I am. So have a super day and thanks for listening. Bye for now.